But we're going to be in Acts chapter 5. And while you're there, go ahead and turn to verses 17 through 20 is what we're going to be reading today. And I'm going to repeat a little bit of Good Friday scripture text um, to keep us into context of, of today because... Again, I believe it all reflects to who Jesus was, what he did, and who he remains to be, and what he continues to do in our lives in a daily and moment-by-moment basis. Um, we sang a song at the very beginning of today, and it's a, it's a reminder of truth that we're going to talk a little bit about in the Scripture. But has anybody forgotten? Let's put it this way. Who here has known the Lord for... 20 years or longer. Raise your hand. Okay, I'm not going to win a lot of these battles. This is probably where I get to bow out gracefully. Who has known the Lord 30 years or longer? Who has known the Lord 40 years or longer? 50 years or longer? Mary, Fred, how long have you known the Lord? What's that? Right around that 50-year mark then? That's incredible. Joy, how long have you been serving God? Okay. So incredible testimony of opportunity of serving God that long. The reason I ask that is because the longer we stay in a relationship with God, sometimes the harder it is to remember where we started. Sometimes it's hard to remember. But no matter what length of time we serve God, whether it's been less than a year, whether it's been over 20, 30, 40, or 50, the question is simply this, do you remember, do you remember what it was like to be a prisoner? Do you remember that moment that you were locked up and broken and chained up and Jesus set you free? Can you remember the encounter that changed your life from being a prisoner to being free? That's what salvation was all about, was, was us being a prisoner and, and set free. And the reason we celebrate Easter and, and Good Friday is because we should do it every day of our lives as believers, but it is a perfect moment set aside to say, Lord, I really was a wretch. I really was no good. I really was dilapidated. Anybody else would have, could have, and you should have disposed of it and rebuilt. There was nothing good left. There's no good bones left. But you saw something more. And you did something that no one else could do. And that's, that's the salvation story and redemption of each and every one of us. And we sing this song, and it touches a bit with today. And I just love that God does that. So go ahead. We're going to put up verses 17 through 20 of Acts chapter 5. And it says, But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. Pause there for just a moment. I just want to reiterate again Sunday, or today when we talk about Friday. Our job as believers is to cause the enemy to be enraged and jealous and vexed by us. That we are so noisy in the spirit, that we are causing so much commotion against his plans in the spirit, that we are moving so powerfully, so mightily, so boldly, so loudly in the spirit, that it would cause him to raise up against us with fervor and jealousy and with zeal to try to stop us and what we're doing. So it says they put 
the apostles in the public prison. You can move on to verses 18 now, or 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. When I was studying and reading through this, there was a couple words that stood out to me, and there was the words that they showed in verse 18 at the end. It says, they put them in public prison. That word public is a word, it doesn't mean public, but it also means to be openly displayed. It means to be ordinary or common. It's a common place. It's a public square. It's not just somewhere that's public, but it's the place that the town knows of. It's a centralized point, and it's common. It's common. And then prison was a talking about a place to be kept. Yes, it's to be kept of prisoners or those who broke the law, but it's, it's a keeping place. It's somewhere that you placed and kept. You can go ahead and remove those verses from the screen for me. But it's being kept in a common, ordinary place. And can we all agree that the moment we met Jesus... That the moment the work on the cross and the stone was rolled away from our eyes and we saw the risen king and the way he was, that he had broke us out of a common, ordinary, kept place. I used to be normal until I met Jesus. And I would challenge any of us who believe that we can know Jesus and be normal that you're skewed, that you've missed it. Because the Word tells us that as believers, we are a peculiar people. We're, we're odd. We're strange. We're peculiar, and that's okay. It's okay because the world says it's strange and odd and peculiar for us to believe in a God who could create all of this and oversee it all and still allow some things to happen in this world. They think that's odd. I think it's strange that you thought two molecules randomly ran into each other, created everything I know in a perfect systematic order. I think that's strange. We have an oddness about us that opposes the world's viewpoint. So this morning, if you're taking notes, there's a simple title of the message. It's called Anything But Ordinary. The God we serve is anything but ordinary. The way he saved us is any way but ordinary. And the people he has made us is anything but ordinary. Anything but ordinary. And I was thinking upon the scripture about the, the apostles preaching and then causing zeal against themselves by the enemy. I was thinking about them being placed and kept in a common place. I was thinking about how the Lord had come and broken them out. I was thinking about the story and, and it again just seemed like such a perfect mirror of the work of Jesus from the cross to the tomb. I want to encourage and challenge all at the same time to accept now that you will never be ordinary. Accept now that you will never be common. Accept now that you will never be normal. It makes the process a whole lot easier. When we just embrace it from the very beginning, we're okay. Because the issue is, is that when you are stuck in this mindset that, God, I'm just going to be normal. I'm just going to be normal. Then we are already fighting against the flow of direction he is moving in our lives. 
He's called us to be peculiar. And now when you're sitting here saying, I'm going to be normal, he has tried to move a rushing water in your life to take you to great places. And you're standing here opposing his move, trying to plant your feet and be kept in a prison of commonality. It's exactly what the enemy has been trying to do all along. Is that when the people of God begin to raise up, when the people of God begin to speak out, when the people of God begin to release the power of God, the enemy moves. The enemy moves. He attacks quickly, fiercely, in zeal to try to keep us and plant us in a place of ordinary, common living. He wants to keep us powerless and dead. He wants to keep us passive and accepted. As long as things are acceptable, it's good. As long as I don't have anything opposing me, it's good. As long as nobody's saying anything against what's happening, it's good. No, it's non-threatening. We are called to threaten the enemy. We're called to raise him up and zeal against us. And it doesn't happen by being powerless. As we said Friday, the Lord stood up and he lived a life that stirred waters and troubled the enemy. He troubled Satan. He troubled him, so he placed him in a prison. And he placed him on a cross. And then he placed him in another prison with a stone wall. And he thought that he had him won. He thought that he put Jesus into a prison of what was normal and common and ordinary. Because everyone dies. He's dead. It's over with. It's no more. But he underestimated the power of an extraordinary God. He underestimated the power of an extraordinary God living through man. And so what would have been ordinary to everyone else became an extraordinary opportunity to Jesus because where well, he should have stayed dead, he destroyed it. The prison that went to hold him down was death, hell, and the grave. And Scripture tells us he overcame it and took the keys back. One minister said in a way that I love, he said he took so much authority over Satan that he took his house keys while he was at it. Satan can't even get to his home without permission. It's pretty good authority. It's pretty good power. It's pretty extraordinary. He wasn't held down to a common or ordinary prison. The early church had it right when they, when they taught about and thought about Jesus. They thought of him as Christus Victor, the victorious Christ. The Christ who came and gave us victory over damnation, disease, and devils. He was a God of victory. He's got authority, not that he did it once, but he does it over and over and over again through every believer that would work in cooperation with him. Because the enemy wants to keep us in a cell of ordinary. He wants to keep us locked away in a prison of common. And I don't know about you, but when I look around the world, especially non-believers, I don't see people raised from the dead. It's usually final. It's kind of a final resting place at that point, right? I don't see a lot of people supernaturally and miraculously healed. I don't see a lot of diseases vanquishing. I don't see that as the common or the ordinary way of life. It's exactly how the devil wants to keep it. It's exactly how he wants to keep it. He wants to keep us planted in a cell that when we look around, what we see is what we expect. That this is normal. This is common. This is ordinary. This is how it should be. 
And he's looking to keep a church. And if he can't do it to a church at large, he'll do it one at a time with the people within it. He'll start walking away at the believers of Christ, trying to build prisons around us, trying to get us set and kept in one place, distracted on one thing that is so comfortable and normal and common to us, so ordinary that we'll stand still so he can build a prison around us. He wants to imprison us in our common expectations. So we see that with the apostles. They were, they were ministering and they were, they were speaking the name of Jesus and they were healing the sick. They were raising the dead. Talk about expectation and shift of culture. Let's be honest. Is there, can, we, can we be real? Because I'll be real. There's Sundays that I come in and, and the expectation is to come preach and go home. Anybody ever had the expectation just come listen to a message and go home? It's easy to get into a common expectation, into an ordinary mindset. But the apostles had so broken past this mindset of, of ordinary and common that not only did they expect God to do something, but it so shifted a culture that the unbelievers expected God to do something through them. Are we living so outside of the prison of ordinary that the unbelievers in our spheres are saying, I need you to pray for me. I need to touch you. I need to experience what you have so my life can change. Because that's what they did. They said, Peter, just let your shadow touch me. Please just let your shadow touch me because I know the God you serve is in your shadow. I know where you are. He is. Just be near me. And that was the power of extraordinary that they lived in. They didn't allow themselves stuck into a prison of common and ordinary. They were anything but ordinary. And they broke outside this mold. And they changed the culture of expectation. And it caused the enemy to be jealous and zealous against them. I love that. Because when we read it, it doesn't say that they got mad because they were teaching the name of Jesus. They already did that once. Now they're just jealous. Wolves are losing their sheep. And they're finding themselves back to the shepherd. And that is what the power of extraordinary does. The power of extraordinary takes the wolves, or takes the sheep from the wolves, and takes them back to their shepherd. And the apostles were taking sheep back to the shepherd, and the wolves became infuriated. Are we infuriating the enemy as a church and as believers individually? Or have we been caught up, distracted with the prison of common, a prison of ordinary? It's easy to do. But I would challenge this morning that we would all take time and reflect, just as David did, search my heart, oh God. Search me. Make anything known in me that is not aligned, that's not right. Show me. Because I know with all my heart that you're like me. That if you're in a prison and you don't know it, you want it to be revealed. Nobody wants to stay imprisoned. No one wants to be stayed locked up. Nobody wants to be caught up, stuck in a place of ordinary common and missing everything God has for them. But it happens so subtly. And it happens so unchallenged. It happens so softly. Before we know it, a stance or a belief we had 
has now kept us from all that God has. So they were imprisoned and they were, they were challenged and imprisoned. And, and here's what I love because God likes to wait till our hardest moments, doesn't he? And sometimes we can be kind of selfish about that and we'd say, what gives God? You have power. You have authority. I'm believing the whole time. I've been standing on your word the whole time. I've been preaching. I've been speaking it. I've been praying it. I've been believing it. Why are you waiting till now to move? Am I the only one who's ever had those conversations with God? <laughs> it's easy, right? God, I was ready at noon. Why did you wait till midnight? <laughs> That's right. Why did you wait till the last minute? And then he laughs at us and he says, it was your last minute, not mine. But he likes to wait till those moments. And it's all throughout Scripture, right? It was right before the dagger struck Isaac that he provided a ram. It was right at the midnight hour that he broke the prison chains and the doors wide open for Paul and Silas and all the prisoners. Sometimes the last minute isn't even a stopping because the last minute with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is walking through a fiery furnace. He likes to wait to the the hardest moment of our life to speak and to move and to break through. And that's what he did here. Is, it says that it was nighttime in the prison. He didn't keep them from going to prison. He didn't keep them from being locked up. He didn't keep them from going to a place of common keeping. He let them go to what was common. He let them go to what was ordinary and he waited till a dark hour to do something. So that's a God we serve because it's in the dark hours of common places that he shines light and does extraordinary things. You can't shine the light when it's already bright outside. You can't make something extraordinary unless it's ordinary. And he waited till it was common and it was dark to shine the light and make it extraordinary. And isn't that what our Jesus did on the cross and through the tomb? He waited till it was dark. Waited until it was dark. Waited until there was no hope left. It was dark out. The sky had fallen. The ground shook. The veil was torn. His disciples were hiding away in a room, shuddering for their lives, crying out in fear that the soldiers would now come after them. Those who were closest to them quit believing. They thought it was over. And in the darkest hour of their lives, he shined a light. In the darkest hour of human history, a stone was rolled away. In the most hopeless time of all existence, the man God arose as God-man. He took all authority back. He took all power back. And I love the story because even though he was in the depths of hell, in the darkest place for three days. I don't know about you guys, but if Jesus' heart was broken and hurting on the cross because he felt alone, how hard had those three days in hell had to have been? But he didn't lose hope.
He didn't lose love or joy or grace or mercy. He didn't quit fighting. And the third day, he comes back with the keys, as I said. The keys over death, hell, and the grave. The keys over damnation, disease, and devils. And he didn't look at Peter. He didn't say, you denied me three times. You did what Adam did, but three times. He didn't say, you messed up again. I'm keeping them. But he looked at him and he said, I'm going to give you a copy. I'm going to keep a copy. I'm giving you a copy. He didn't look at he didn't look at Peter and the apostles and see them locked away in a room with Thomas missing and saying, where's he at? He didn't look at them in disbelief and in frustration and, and anger and disappointment and say, you've messed up again. You missed it. I'm, we're done. He didn't look at them in their place of common keeping. Their upper room became their prison. He didn't look at them there and say, it's too late, you're already locked up. But he gave them back what was supposed to be theirs all along. And sometimes we find ourselves, and you might today find yourself in a prison somewhere, locked up by something that's common and ordinary to man. No matter what it is, whether it be a prison of unbelief, a prison of doubt, prison, prison of fear, whether it be a prison of a, of a sin, I don't know what it is, but I tell you this, we have one at least. There's some prisoner the enemy has tried to lock us in with, with lies and accusations and false experiences and, and false hopes and disappointments and unforgiveness. and He's built prisons around us. And he sat there for a long time dangling some keys and trying to convince you that you were locked in. I want to remind you today, those are fake keys he's holding. <laughs> They're fake keys because he doesn't have those keys anymore. You do. You have those keys. And you sit here being tormented by this lie all the time and believing that you've been locked into something that you can't get out of when you've had the keys to a door that wasn't even locked. Because he couldn't lock you in. Remember those keys he doesn't have? It's hard to lock a door when you don't have keys. We've been locked inside something that's not locked. We've been mocked by somebody that doesn't even have the keys to keep us in. When Jesus' stone rolled away from the tomb, it rolled away from yours too. It rolled away from yours too. I beg you, when Jesus comes, or when you pass on, or you move on from the day even, don't be caught in death rags in a tomb that's been blown wide open. Don't be stuck in a dead place when the tombstone has already been rolled away. He's called your name out. He's called you out. When he said, forgive them, they don't know what they do. If you're a them, raise your hand. He called your name out. And the last time I heard him call somebody's name out when a tomb was rolled away, they came out of the tomb. It didn't matter how long they'd been dead. 
didn't matter that it had been four days. It didn't matter that he stinketh by now. It didn't matter. Because he said, Lazarus, get up. And when he looked at us in his spirit eye on that cross, he said, Lord, forgive them. Fill in your name. Lord, forgive Justin. He doesn't know what he's doing. He called my name in a tomb. And three days later, he rolled the tomb open. And he brought me out with him. He brought you out with him. So when you look at yourself today and you reflect, you say, Lord, I'm stuck in a prison of commonality. I'm stuck in this prison of ordinary. Everybody deals with this. Everybody faces this. Everybody gets battled by this. Everybody's overcome by this. You are not an everybody. You are someone special that Jesus called out of the tomb. And you have keys that the enemy doesn't have. And you have a hope and a promise that he doesn't have. And so he's dangling fake keys at you out of jealousy. He's dangling fake keys out of you out of zeal. He's dangling fake keys out of you out of this fervent, ardent hatred for you, hoping that maybe, just maybe, if you're distracted enough, and you look at the bars long enough, you'll become too hopeless, too scared, too doubt-filled to try to open the door. I want to tell you today that Jesus already moved the stone. He's already rolled it away. And all you have to do in that area of imprisonment is just open the door. Step out of it. How do I do that? Change your thinking. Scripture says to take Every thought captive. Why? Because if you don't, it will captivate you. You will be a captive to your thoughts or they will be captives to you. Your choice. Keep thinking like you deserve it. Keep thinking like it's ordinary and common. Keep thinking that it's something everybody does and you'll stay there. You won't even try the door. Or you can push it open. You can look at the word of God and say, Lord, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I am not common or ordinary. Lord, you have given me life. Lord, if anyone would call upon the name of Jesus, he'll be saved. I would know the truth and the truth will set me free. I'll look at the word and I'll think on the word. And I'll think on the things of God that are good and righteous and noble. I'll think on these things. And suddenly by my thinking, I'll exit the prison. Suddenly by my thinking, I'll step out, but he's a greater thing. Is that when my thinking begins to go to God, he starts shaking the prison. He starts rocking it himself. He starts opening the doors for you. Changing our thinking. Getting out of the common, ordinary thoughts. Living in an extraordinary way. Having that expectation that is driven by obedient faith and actions. Do something different today. Try something different today. Try something peculiar Try something odd. Try something strange. Laugh at Satan when he dangles the keys in front of you and push the door open. It is so much easier for us than we realize if we would just get our thinking straight to be able to step out, grab him, put him in the prison, and lock the door ourselves. Don't be imprisoned by something you don't have to be. The tomb's open. The rags are already off of you. 
Don't live like a dead man. Don't live like a dead woman. And Pastor Chris, go ahead and put up those, that last scripture verse again at the beginning, verses 19 and 20. Because I love this. Because what happens, it says, at night, remember that dark time of their life? The angel of the Lord opened their prison doors and brought them out. Their thinking was already extraordinary. It was already peculiar. It was already odd. They were already letting people walk in their shadows to experience God. Would you let somebody walk in your shadow and believe that they would experience God because of it? Are you that peculiar, that odd yet? If not, let's work on that together because I want to be that odd. I want to be so crazy to think that if you just touch my shadow, you'll have touched God. Not because I'm God, but because he is that close to me. But it says that he opened the prison doors and brought them out. And then what does he say? He says, go and stand in the temple and speak to all the people all the words of this life. Go to the temple. Public is not always common. Not always. They went from a common place to a public place, to a place that exalted the extraordinary God. Went from a common keeping, a common imprisonment, to a public place of an extraordinary God. That's what we it's why we come together in a group. But can we be honest? Our Facebook check-in, if we do that, our telling somebody we're going to church on Sunday isn't so public. It's a temple, but it's not so public. What are we doing publicly? How publicly are we making our peculiarities? How publicly are we being odd? How publicly are we being strange? Because the whole reason, whole reason, Jesus broke the stone away. The whole reason it rolled away and he stepped out. The whole reason he let hip hypocritical voices say Hosanna on Sunday and yell crucify him on Friday was so they could fall at the feet of Jesus months later when a peculiar people stood up and spoke in his name. He let them do all that and still be redeemed. He let them do all that. The whole reason the stone was rolled away is so his name would be proclaimed. If we're not proclaiming the name of Jesus, if we're not living out the power of Jesus, if we're not stepping out publicly with the name of Jesus, have we really left the prison? Jesus is in prison with a lot of people. He'll let you stay there if you want to. And he'll stay right beside you. But I don't want to know about him imprisoned. I want to live with him freely. I want to release him freely. I want to give him powerfully to a world around me in need. And it requires, as verse 20 said, to speak all the words of this life. You notice it's capital. Speak all the words of Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. 
speak of Jesus. Speak everything you can about Jesus. Teach what the Word says about Jesus, but also go and do the thing Revelation says. Overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. Tell about them all, about the Jesus you've encountered. Tell them about the Jesus that's changed your life and how he's changed your life. Tell them about the Jesus who is with you in the middle of your darkest hour. Sometimes we're in the middle of our testimony and it's okay to share it still. Sometimes it's okay to share the testimony when it's still being unraveled because he's still there with you in the middle of it. Don't stay in your prisons. Don't stay in ordinary, common people. Embrace being peculiar. Embrace being odd. Embrace being uncommon because he is anything but ordinary. His life was anything but ordinary. His death was anything but ordinary. His resurrection was anything but ordinary. His ascension was anything but ordinary. And the moment you called on the name of Jesus, you did something that was anything but ordinary. Let's tap into him. Let's hold on to him. Let's stay in his shadow and be an extraordinary people.